Uh, if you are looking in your bulletin, you'll see that there, uh, it says right at the top there, a guest speaker, Todd Chapman. Uh, I am not he. Uh, for those who uh, don't know me, my name's Kyle. I'm the lead pastor here at the church. Todd is uh, a member of our church. He is, has been an elder in different seasons, and he was going to come preach today until Friday night. He ended up in the hospital with double kidney stones, and he is currently awaiting surgery. Uh, so he called me, and he said, Tag, you're it again. Uh, can I throw you back in? Because he didn't think we'd want to see him in his gown. So uh, let me just quickly pray for Todd. Heavenly Father, Lord, we lift up Todd. I don't know if he's in surgery yet or not. Lord, we know he's been bumped a few times. Uh, but Lord God, we just pray uh, you'd give him peace. Lord, would you guide uh, the surgeon's hands and the nurses and everybody who's involved? And Lord God, would you just help them to uh, figure out how to treat him uh, to the best that they can? And Lord God, would you bring him healing otherwise or through that means? We trust in you and all these things, Lord. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. I don't know what Todd was going to preach on, so uh, I decided instead to uh, pull out a psalm. You know, uh, one of the things that is great about uh, God's Word is that it is just full of wonderful things. Uh, and so even though I wasn't necessarily fully prepared for this, because I was expecting him to preach, uh, I have just been spending time in the Psalms, and so I'm just trusting the Holy Spirit will lead. And so if you've got a Bible, you can open with me to Psalm 63. That's where we're going to be. This has been a Psalm uh, that I just read a number of weeks ago in my devotional time. Uh, it's one that I've been thinking about previously in the past, and so that's where we're going to go. And I think it's a helpful place to reflect right now because I think... I think I could speak for a lot of people here in the room. Uh, it, it just feels like there's a lot of wilderness seasons going on in people's lives, you know? Just these times of, of being sort of dry, uh, maybe times of feeling like you're sort of run out of town and maybe feeling a little disconnected from something else that's going on in your life that would normally be a part of your life. Maybe there's just some circumstance that... Uh, where you maybe perhaps were usually comfortable, but you find yourself now not feeling uh, quite so comfy, and you wonder, well, how do I worship in the midst of this? You know, I think as I've been thinking about our worship and that idea of wilderness season, uh, I was thinking about, you know, it really is a weird thing to worship God when we feel in that space. Because I think oftentimes we associate our worship with gratefulness. You know, we think, oh, I'm going to worship God right now because I'm thankful that he's done X, Y, Z. And when that's not going on and we feel sort of more desolate or dry of a place, we then sit there and go, I don't know how to worship God in this. You know, we might call out to him. We might say, hey, God, I, I need you to answer this prayer for me. Hey, God, I really am looking for X, Y, or Z. And, and that is, to a degree, an element of worship. But really, I think we end up sort of stepping out of this place where the whole of our lives become about worshiping God, giving God all of me. What does it feel like 
when you're in a wilderness place. If you're in one right now, just, I just want you to take a time to think about that. If you're not in one right now, think back for a moment with me. Just to being in a sort of dry or tough season of life. What about when you felt lost, alone, beat up perhaps, let down? What was it like for you to worship God during that season? What does it feel like to try to reach out to God when you're lying in bed just crippled with anxiety? What does it feel like to worship God when you were walking alongside a friend or a family member who was really struggling? What about when you were in a season of just fighting to make ends meet? What about when you had a season of a close friendship that was falling apart. How did you get to a place to worship God? Have you ever thought about that? I was thinking about that a little bit as I was reflecting on this song. Like, like, like what took me to a place to get there? And, and in a lot of ways, I, co- I couldn't really put a pin in it. I couldn't really just like articulate in my own mind like what was it that took me from this dry and desolate place into a place where I was really worshiping. And that's what I find this psalm really helpful for. Psalm 63 is a psalm of King David uh, that comes out of a season of his life where he had every reason to be miserable. Where he had every reason to struggle, and in a a sort of human context, every reason to just feel so defeated that he wouldn't worship God. He was done when he was in the middle of this season. We read at the top of the psalm, it says, a psalm of David when he was in the desert of Judah. But what's amazing to me is that in the midst of this, and I'll give us some background of what was happening in just a sec, is that in the midst of this all, we hear something else come out from his heart and soul that just doesn't necessarily align with me naturally when I'm in a wilderness place. So let's read together Psalm 63. It's on the screen, or if you got in your Bible, follow along in that. This is a Psalm of David, as I said, when he was in the desert of Judah. He says, You, God, are my God. Earnestly I seek you. I thirst for you. My whole being longs for you in a dry and parched land where there is no water. I have seen you in the sanctuary and beheld your power and your glory. Because your love is better than life, my lips will glorify you. I will praise you as long as I live, and in your name I will lift up my hands. I will be fully satisfied as with the richest of foods. With singing lips, my mouth will praise you. On my bed, I remember you. I think of you throughout the watches of the night. Why? Because you are my help. And so I sing in the shadow of your wings. I cling to you. Your right hand upholds me. Those who want to kill me will be destroyed. They will go down to the depths of the earth. They will be given over to the sword and become food for jackals. But the king will rejoice in God. 
and all who swear by God will glory in him, while the mouths of liars will be silenced. As I said, this this is a, a season of David's life where things just aren't going the way he had planned. I mean, David is actually an interesting figure that we read about from history. He's gone through all of the ups and downs that life could possibly bring, I think. You know, if you, if you were to read his whole story and just sort of take a step back and, and as you engage with that history, not just look at it as sort of a, a narrative, but actually step into it for a second and be like, what would this guy have done and thought? You, you would be pretty uh, hard-pressed to find someone like, uh, like David in your life or even in your own experience. I mean, David spends a lot of time in the wilderness. In this instance, though, he's not just stuck in the wilderness physically. He's stuck in it emotionally as well. Why? Well, because David's own son, Absalom, has put into effect an elaborate plan to betray his father, to chase him out from the city, and now Absalom is actually sitting on David's throne in the city named after him. You can read the whole story if you want it in 2 Samuel 15 and 16. And so if this is something you want to study throughout the week, uh, you can go there. But, but let me give you sort of the Cole's notes. What happens is Absalom uh, decided for whatever reason, was whatever's going on in his heart and mind, that, that he's sort of sick of King Dad. And he's going to take care of him and find a way to put himself on the throne. It's my turn, maybe. Right? That maybe is what he's thinking. And so in order to do this, what he would do is he would be very unconventional in his thinking. Absalom would get up early in the morning and he would head down to the city gate. He'd head down to the city gate because he knew that travelers would come to request to speak with the king. This is a very normal practice in their day and age. And so he'd hang out by the gate, and when someone would come who he recognized maybe as an official or a dignitary or someone of significance who would be coming into the the city to see the king, he would stop them and say, hey, dad's too busy. The king's just too busy to deal with you. And then he would go beyond that and actually start to become a little chummy. He'd start to help them know that, but he cared, and he was loving, And so what he would say, we read in Samuel 15, is this. He said, there's no representative of the king to hear you. But if only I were appointed judge in the land, then everyone who had a complaint or case could just come to me. And I would see that they received justice. You see, what's going on here is he's trying to gain a sense of popularity. Of connection with the people who maybe had some power to be brokered in the community. And so Absalom eventually, through this process and through other things, surely, that he was doing, he ends up gaining enough popularity that he's actually able to amass a bit of an army. And then from there, he decides when the time is right to overthrow his father, and that's what causes David to flee. David runs from the city with a number of his other family members, with a number of his important officials. He's got to take care of those that he can, and they flee. They run to the wilderness. I'm sure for David, this felt 
a little bit deja vu-y when he thinks back to the time when King Saul, the king before him, had chased him out of the city and tried to kill him a number of times. But I think that would be even easier to deal with, the King Saul situation, than what was happening now in the city. I mean, not only was someone trying to kill him, not only was someone trying to sit on his seat, but this is his own son who he loved and raised who's now betraying him as king. But it's in the midst of those circumstances, the betrayal of his son, the loss of his city, of a member of his family, uh, a number of people who likely were friends and political connections, all that sort of thing. He, in the midst of all of that, he stops and sings. Right? That's what a psalm is. It's, it's a song that comes from the heart that expresses worship to God in a number of ways. And here, in the midst of that, amidst of all of the wilderness and what it brings, He sings, God, you are my God. You quench my thirst. You bring me what I need. I think we need that kind of reminder. I think we need that kind of reminder whether we're in a season of wilderness or whether we're coming out of one or maybe heading towards one. We need this reminder so that as we process through the garbage that comes in life, through the hurt, the frustrations, the anger, the sadness, maybe confusion of the different circumstances bring, we need that reminder to look to God because it's him who satisfies. That's what we've been singing about. I actually love how God sort of orchestrated this. Thomas had no idea what I was going to preach on. I had no idea what, what Thomas's songs would be, but, but the Holy Spirit's moving, right? That's what we were singing about all this morning. God, in all things, I come to you. God, look what you have done for me. And it doesn't matter what season of life we're in. We can sing those songs if we focus on the why. And that's what else I love about this psalm is that that David actually brings the why behind why he sings. In verse 1, David says, You, God, are my God. Earnestly I seek you. I thirst for you. My whole being longs for you in a dry and parched land where there is no water. So what, what gives him the ability to speak that? What gives him the ability to declare that? Well, we see that he he recognizes just something in the very nature of who God is. We see that he, he recognizes that there's something for God that allows our longing in the wilderness to be satisfied. As a good Jew, I'm sure he thinks back to and through all of his people's history. Right back to Genesis chapter 17 where Abraham chose to follow God and God says, I will provide for you. Through the Exodus wilderness experiences, his people fleed through Egypt and wandered for years and God continued to bring the things that they would need. He's able to say, God, you satisfy. Even in the desert now where his experiencing water in limited commodity, he recognizes that the things that God provides are actually found in only one place. 
and that's in God. This gives us a little bit of foretaste or maybe a little bit of a, a better reminder that is, brings us to something that Jesus would later teach. You might remember the story of where Jesus meets a woman at a well. And she's drawing up water for her, herself and her family. And she's, she's struggling and she finds that though she comes to this well time and time again, though she continues to look for things that will fill her longing, she's just dry and empty. And there beside that well, Jesus comes and he says, everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks the water that I give will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give them will become in them a spring of water welling up to eternal life. When you're in your wilderness season, what's your longing? Like, what's the thing you go to time and time again? We all have it. We all have that thing or those things that we go to. Usually it's something that we'll chase after that we feel like we can control. Something that maybe will give us a little bit of a fix uh, for us to be able to sort of either numb out or dive into something. But when we go to it, we end up still emotionally and spiritually longing. For some people, this is where their addictions begin to fly. For all people, this is where our addictions begin to fly. Whatever that addiction is, whatever that thing is that we are searching for. We saw that David tried to fulfill his longing elsewhere in Scripture, right? When David was going through tough things, he would often reach out for something to give him some level of pleasure or comfort to try to fill a longing. You saw that with David and Bathsheba. Right, this desire where he covets this woman and he says, I'm going to grab onto her and make her mine because I can control that and that will fill something in me only to find out that it brought a whole wreckage to his life and he was still left with longing. You can read all of David's story. You'll see this time and time again. And so as he's gone through that, he's come to this place though that he recognizes that the key element of worshiping God in wilderness is reminding that it's God who fills the longing. It's God who brings the refreshment to his life. And I mean, this must really be more than lip service. Like, it's one thing to sing that some days on a Sunday, you know, where we're just like, oh, everyone else is singing the songs around me, so I guess I'll sing. Oh, we've got the lyrics on the screen. I'll, I'll, I'll go there. It's very different. Imagine that you're sitting in a desert cave, no water, no throne, lost family, and to say, God, it's for you that I'm longing. Why does David love God so much? Because he knows he fulfills that. In Psalm 35, another psalm written by David, he writes, Then my soul will rejoice in the Lord and delight in his salvation. My whole being exclaims, Who is like you, Lord? You are the one who rescues the poor from those who are too strong for them. You are the poor and the needy from whom those uh, who rob them. David thinks through his life, 
when he's in the wilderness. And he remembers how God has provided him salvation time and time again. On one hand, physically, I mean, God helped him escape the most powerful ruler in the land who was trying to bring his head back to the kingdom. He has escaped through these spiritual desert places to, to experience the refreshment of God's salvation spiritually. He recognizes that though he was a broken man who brought hurt and destruction to the world around him, that God was still willing to redeem him and restore him and use him and bring him life and meet with him and give him all that he would need. David said, God, you bring my salvation. And that's just so refreshing. And this is the mindset that we need to have when we go into a wilderness season. It's something Paul wrote to the church in Ephesus. He said, now you have been united with Christ. Once you were far away from him, but now you have been brought near to him through the blood of Christ. If there's anything that should make our soul sing, it should be the constant reminder that we deserve nothing of God. That we were his enemies, that we sinned against him, that we spat in his face, that we mocked him with our lives, if not our mouths. And as we were in the midst of that, all of us, you and me, he said, I'm willing to forgive. I've already sent my son. Jesus has already died on the cross He's broken his body. He's poured out his blood so that if you would believe and follow me, you can have refreshment and life even when every other longing is left unsatisfied. Now, if you're sitting in the room and maybe you aren't a follower of Jesus, maybe you kind of could care less why you should worship God. I just want to encourage you to consider how you get by. Like, what brings you any life in the wilderness? How's it working for you as you try to apply that to your life? If you're like me, it fails. Maybe it feels really good, gives you a little emotional or mental high. Maybe it gives you a little sense of control for a little while, but then afterwards... You're back. You're back to that place of longing. You're back to recognizing your failures. You're back to recognizing that you really have no control. The reality of our lives is we do actually have very little control over the wilderness places and the places of longing that we enter into. We don't have control because sometimes God takes us to those places to to break us and to help us to come see him. We don't have control because sometimes there's just sinful, awful people all around us and they bring us to our knees. And sometimes it's just because you and I are complete and dismal failures on our own that we end up going out and wandering. But the good news of it all and the beauty of who Jesus is is that wherever you've gone to, wherever you find yourself, he's there to comfort you and me. He's there to offer us hope and refreshment 
and to fulfill our deepest longings, even if they're ones we do not see. And the good news is that as we begin to follow him, and this isn't just for those of us who, who aren't followers of Jesus, it's for all of us, even if we've been following Jesus, we have to sometimes remember in the wilderness that, oh yeah, I need to stop going the direction I'm going and look and find Jesus in the midst of this season or this place. And as we follow him, that's where the hope and the refreshment comes from. In 2 Corinthians 4, 7 and 10, Paul says this. He says, but we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that this all-surpassing power is from God and not from us. Though we are hard-pressed on every side, we are not crushed. We are perplexed, but we are not in despair. We are persecuted, but we're never abandoned. We are struck down, but we're never destroyed. We will always carry around in our body the death of Jesus so that the life of Jesus may also be revealed in us. If you're feeling really dry, if you're feeling like it's just me, myself, and I somewhere wandering in the wilderness, you have to remember that that's the enemy speaking to you, and he's bringing you a lie. You are not alone, even if you are the loneliest you have ever felt. Because when we come to faith in Christ, God begins to reside in me. That's what we have to tell ourselves. I'm thirsty. The quencher of my thirst is here with me. I'm hungry for a different experience, for something else. The bread of life is here with me. Oh, God, I am so lonely. I am here with you. The wonderful power of the cross isn't the, that it just wipes away our sin and sets us this one-day destination uh, in eternity after we die in this physical life. It's the life-giving presence of the Spirit in all of you and me. That gives us something to celebrate. That gives us something to, to sort of exclaim and to be excited by. That's why I think in, in Psalm 35, David goes, My whole being will exclaim, Who is like you, Lord? Because you are here with me. You fulfill every need. He repeats that, right? In Psalm 63, verses 2 to 5. I have seen you in the sanctuary. I've beheld your power and your glory. Your love is better than life, so my lips will glorify you. I praise you as long as I live, and in your name I'll lift up my hands. I will be fully satisfied as with the richest of foods, with singing lips my mouth will praise you. If you're a foodie like me, the best meal that you will ever eat will never satisfy quite like Jesus can. When's the last time you actually stopped to think about the fact that Jesus' love was better than everything? Think about whatever that thing is that's bringing you the most joy in your life right now. Just let it come to mind. Whether it's a scene or a person or a taste or a song or whatever it is, just allow it to come to your mind. And then stop 
and invite the Holy Spirit to say how he's better than that. He'll prove it time and time again. He'll prove it in the middle of your wilderness. He'll prove it when you're on a mountaintop and you feel like shouting and you're excited for God's glory. But as we allow that to well up within, that's then what allows us to rejoice in God. In verse 11, he says, he comes out of this part where he talks about his foes. People are trying to kill me. People are chasing after me. People are speaking lies against me. He's, he's coming out of all that season. He says, but still, the king, that's me, that's David, says, I will rejoice in you, God. And all who swear by God's glory, by God will glory in him. David calls himself the king because he recognizes that even though God uh, uh, God's allowed him to be banished out of the city by his son. He still holds a position as king because God's appointed it. And God will return him to the throne. And so Dave puts his faith in the promise that God has given to him in his life. And that's something that you and I need to do more regularly, particularly when we're in a wilderness season. We need to go to God's story. And hear and listen to the places where God speaks and he gives promises and he offers refreshment so that even when things don't seem to be going the way that you thought they would, you can cling to the hope that God will be brought glory because he will bring the fullness of those promises to be. One place I'd encourage you to look if you're sitting there and you're struggling, you're going, I don't don't know where to even begin to look. Go to the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 5 to 7. It's this beautiful picture that Jesus speaks where he says, this is what my kingdom looks like. This is the goodness that I will bring to your life if you will let me take the throne in your heart. doesn't matter the season, I will come to you. And then as you begin to allow that to grow within you, you'll be able to sing. You'll be able to raise your hands in worship to God because you will know you are forgiven. You will know that you live within him and he within you. And you will begin as you follow him to experience all that he says he has for you. And from there, would we worship him? I love David and his ability to worship God is king. Even though he is king, even though he has uh, sort of the, the top tier of society, even though he was a man surely of decorum in his culture, he's this exuberant worshiper of God. Just the fact that David would speak in the psalm that I'll just throw my hands up and worship to you. I'll declare your name. Tells us that he had this heart of abandon. We know of other crazy things David did as he worshipped God. Would we only be that free? How do we get that free? We remember that Jesus' life is revealed in the whole of our body, our soul, our heart, and our mind. And will we cling to the truth of his promise in every season that we experience? Let's pray. Holy Spirit, I just invite you now to come and meet with us. 
not because you're not here in this room, but Lord, in, in a way where you just reveal to us where we have turned and, and paid more attention to the wilderness than to you. Holy Spirit, show us the things that we run to that don't truly satisfy. Holy Spirit, show us how you are better than all of those things. God, show us why you're worth more glory than anything we can bring into our own lives. God, teach us to worship you exuberantly like David without care, with reckless abandon. Allow us to just find a way to, to praise you in anything. Heavenly Father, we are just so thankful that you bring the fullness of the kingdom into our lives. And God, we want more of your kingdom to come, more of your will to be done in each and every one of our lives. Despite the wilderness seasons that we face, the ones that we're going into, the ones we're coming out of, Lord God, I pray that we would be able to sing that we would be able to sing praise to you in all things because we would recognize who you are and what you've accomplished. That we would recognize that you are a God who is bigger than all things. That you are a God who delivers promises time and time again. God, I, I can't imagine how it must have felt to be an Israelite waiting on their King and Messiah. But Lord God, you came. Jesus, we thank you that you came and that even though you were a totally different guy than what we would thought, you would come as. Lord God, we thank you that you came as something even better. We thank you that you went to the cross, that you were willing to die, that you were willing to surrender your life so that if we, through faith, could have faith if we would just follow you. So Lord God, if there's anyone in here today whose faith just feels weak and failing, Lord God, would you help them to cling to you? Would you help them to be reminded of your promises and the good things that you bring? For those who don't know you, Lord, would they come to know you? Would they reach out to you with their heart and minds today and just say, Jesus, I need what you can bring. And then, Lord God, would we praise you with everything? Would we praise you with the whole of our lives? Not just with the songs we sing, not just with our hands raised in worship, but with everything, all of me. Lord God, we want to praise you because you deserve it. No matter how we feel in the season we're in. Lord, we pray this all in your powerful name, Jesus. Amen.